The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Have you ever been conned? Maybe someone figured out a way to weasel some money out of you. Or maybe someone professed to you their undying love but didn't really mean it. Maybe you joined a religion or a movement that the leaders of which knew was a pack of lies. It's a terrible feeling. It can happen to the best of us. We naturally want to trust others, to believe them, to empathize with them, to help them. And they know that, and they prey on that part of our nature. If it's ever happened to you, then you know that it's difficult to ever trust again, and your evaluation of the human being as a race goes down a little bit. Conning, which I believe derives from the word confidence, as in someone is running a confidence game, or they're a confidence man. It's usually accomplished by pretending to be so sure of what you believe that other people actually feel foolish if they don't go along with it. Con men often will prey on those who are maybe insecure about what they believe. Maybe they've never really gotten to the bottom of what they believe or why. So they become sort of easy targets for a persuasive and confident person. About a year back, I got very interested in the teachings and the writings uh, and the leaders of the Nation of Islam. I think it was maybe because of the rise of black nationalism that itself was a kind of response to a rise in white nationalism in America. But anyway, I was interested in the origins of some of these people, and so I read Malcolm X's autobiography and then a biography of the man to whom Malcolm X had pledged his allegiance for 15 years, the leader and sort of prophet of the nation of Islam, Elijah Muhammad. Now, of course, the stories of both men are very long, and it's not my calling to tell them uh, from the pulpit. But for comparative purposes, I think it's a pretty interesting study. One thing that I became very convinced of was that Elijah Muhammad was conned, and he himself was a con man. 
The man who conned him was a mysterious figure, a name not many people know anymore. He disappeared around the time Elijah Muhammad sort of took the reins of what was called the Nation of Islam. And this man, who had many aliases, who was tracked by the FBI in pretty great detail, his name was Wallace Fard, probably was not even black, as we would say that word, but probably from the Middle East. And he had some extremely bizarre teachings. He taught, for example, that the original and sort of great race was people of color. And at one point, all of human beings were black. But over time, there was this evil scientist who, through centuries of of selective breeding, had created this race of evil people who were white. True story. I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't read it, but it's all there. Now, that is how the nation of Islam, especially in the early days, would speak about white devils because they were literally thought to be this race that had been created. And this is what Elijah Muhammad preached and believed and what Malcolm X also preached and believed for a time. Now, it didn't help that white people had actually acted like devils. People were open to the message of someone like Wallace Fard uh, because at the time, whites were notoriously racist. In Detroit alone, where a lot of this started, that city in the north, there were over 70,000 members of the Ku Klux Klan in the early 1920s. So you're talking millions all over the country. By comparison today, there's about 8,000 members of the Ku Klux Klan, 8,000 too many, but it does show how times have changed. So people wanted a voice. They wanted a champion. And if a few people came along and they were willing to stretch the truth a little and tell some interesting stories, well, it gave them a voice against what they were experiencing. Many of their complaints were legitimate, but the solutions proved destructive. Elijah Muhammad, as it turns out, was a pretty poor leader of his movement. He would have long been forgotten if not for Malcolm X. When Malcolm X found Elijah Muhammad, he only had about 200 followers. But due to the rhetorical brilliance and debating skill of Malcolm X, the Nation of Islam grew to over 100,000 members. In his own words, though, Malcolm X realized near the end of his life, he was assassinated when he was 39, that he had been conned, and the teachings of the Nation of Islam were false. He repudiated the the evil scientist theory, that uh, there was one sort of master race, etc. And I believe that he was assassinated because he had turned his considerable intelligence against the nation of Islam, just as he had done so against racism in the years before. Now, that's important because Malcolm X is still a hugely influential figure, but it's the Malcolm X really pre-conversion that many people quote. That was the era in which he is known. Anyway, it's just one interesting account. As an example, for comparative purposes, of men conning and being conned in the name of religion. By the way, Malcolm X, I don't believe, was a con man. He was a true believer, and by all accounts, an upright man. 
But Elijah Muhammad and Wallace Fard, I think it can be convincingly shown, were not honorable men. But because they claimed to have this direct personal connection with the God of the universe, unique revelation that only they possessed, they were able to convince people to follow them. They weren't the first, and they certainly will not be the last. And because we all have an intuitive desire, having been made in God's image, to be in a relationship with God, we can easily fall for these kinds of stories. Now, of course, critics of our own faith, critics of Christianity, simply say that just as we feel others were duped, they would say the same about us, that we're not so different from those who believe strange and odd things and that words come from the mouths of prophets. What really is so different from Christianity from, say, the Nation of Islam or Mormonism or, heck, Scientology? The transfiguration of our Lord. Maybe it's a good day to ask those kinds of questions. For in all of our texts today, we see a beautiful harmony and continuity of the earliest scriptures to the latest of our scriptures. In Exodus, for example, this morning, we see the story that every Hebrew person would have believed unquestionably for centuries, that Moses went to a mountain, and there he spoke with God and received the law of God. And in Matthew, we see Jesus ascending up a mountain as well, and there his full glory is on display. And of course, Moses and Elijah show up to be with him as well. There's the continuity. And Jesus appears fully glorified, right? wider than any fuller could bleach his clothing, for example. And this is a reflection to those few disciples of his true nature. That Jesus condescended, that he was only an ordinary laborer, that he never appeared in such a way, much less that he would be crucified, should not allow us to forget that he was the possessor of God's glory. The world, in truth, could not stand to look at this glory. So it was hidden for almost his entire life, except when he was transfigured before three of his disciples. Were these disciples duped? Were they conned? Some of Jesus' miracles likely could have been replicated. Have you ever watched a modern-day magician, for example, uh, perform a feat and you're, you just swear that they have sold their soul to the devil because there's no way that they just pulled off that magic trick right in front of you with you watching very intently like that? You know. Uh, and who's to say that in Jesus' day there were not similar people. In fact, in Acts, we read two different accounts of a, a magician and a sorcerer uh, who were claimed to have power of God, who performed feats that no one could explain. And so this is a common argument against Christianity. Confirmands, I need you to listen. This is a common argument. Magicians today can perform amazing feats. Con men today can convince people to believe false things. Hucksters today can sell snake oil to the vulnerable. Who says that Jesus is so different? Maybe we're the ones 
being conned. I don't think these are new criticisms. Even in Jesus' own day, his followers had to defend their faith as authentic. Listen to Peter's words in our reading today. For we did not follow cleverly designed, devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. One of the most remarkable testaments to the truth claims of Christianity is its continuity across so many centuries, so many eyewitnesses, so many cultures, so many people. One of the surefire ways to spot a con job, at least in the realm of religion, is the localization of the revelation from God to just one person. Mary Baker Eddy, Joseph Smith, L. Ron Hubbard, and moderns like Benny Hinn. These men and women claim to have a special anointing, a unique and private relationship with God that opens up previously closed heavenly portals. What we see on the Mount of Transfiguration is a revelation that shows to those disciples just who this Christ is, who is to be crucified and risen from the dead. It's a revelation that connects centuries of revelation, spoken through the mouths of many prophets. And it is a revelation that gives us a promise now as we enter Lent. Jesus is Lord. He is the Messiah. He is the one who is promised by the prophets. He is the fulfillment of the law of God, and he is the revelation of God. And when you confront your sin and your death and your temptation this Lent, remember that Christ is who God raised from the dead, bringing him into his final glorified state. Such glory awaits us as well when we are raised from the dead and we are then part of this long line of witnesses. Amen.